turn, that's the voyage I'm on. If you're going to set sail, then you have to give your vessel a name, and my good ship's called the Albion. For the sake of home and hope and glory, let's sail to Arcadia, an unfettered place with no constraints and infinite hope. That's the destination. We hailed Albion and Arcadia close, twisted it into our own philosophy. We changed and mutated it along the way. It was our own personal mythology, our idiosyncratic, romantic ideal. It was the Greek myths with England at their heart, Homer and Blake. The whole idea of Albion has got tangled up over the years, but the important thing was that Peter and I met in the middle with it. We chimed with that ideal. I truly believe that we're still on that boat. At very opposite ends of it right now, but still stuck on the same sea. I've lived in London since the summer of 1996, when I moved up to study drama at Brunel University. I wasn't particularly popular in Whitchurch, near Basingstoke where I grew up. I was something of a ghost. Felt straight-jacketed there, and had to move away. Some people pick their point on the compass and stick to it, and all I ever wanted to do was be at the heart of the action. Richmond, though, seemed very far from that. That's where I lived for most of my two short years at Brunel, hunkered down in the student halls on campus. I met Peter there, which was important in itself, but campus life also allowed me to plug into London's social scene, and student life meant I had money in my pocket. A ludicrous notion for most students now, as well as all the time in the world to spend it. I was always annoyed that my Richmond halls didn't have a London postcode. They were in TW1 on the other side of the river, so I ended up moving with a friend to Sheen, in the first of many moves towards the heart of London. Sheen was SW14, I think, and we had a little old house next to Richmond Park, into which we used to creep at night and steal wood to burn in our fireplace, ambling back through the darkness weighed down with piles of wood. We'd cycle into Richmond together on my bike, the two of us, careering along, one of us on the crossbar, like the scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head, running through my mind, going way too fast, two miles there and two longer miles back. We thrived on the bright lights of central London, and every trip home from town was spent on the number nine bus, which would inevitably see us walking up Kingston, the end of the line, bodies contorted and mouths drooling, faces pressed up against the glass, Richmond some miles back. Kingston's a very unforgiving place at seven in the morning on the wrong side of daylight. The driver would never let us stay on board the bus, even though he was getting ready to start up and take the same route again. We'd stand for twenty minutes, bleary-eyed in the freezing cold, until he allowed us back on for the return journey, at which point we'd fall asleep again and wake up in fucking town. Sometimes it felt endless. Peter's sister, Amy Jo Doherty, was the only person at Brunel I really felt a connection with during my short time studying there. From my vantage point in Whitchurch, I'd imagine that when going to a London university, I'd take rooms, and there'd be a succession of characters who'd process through my digs wearing bottle green tweeds and carrying armfuls of leather-brown books tied with packing string. I think in my head I was going to Oxford circa 1930 in an Evelyn Moore novel. What I actually found were people with golf clubs and best of 1994 dance CDs. Amy Jo was the one person I met there who seemed engaged with the sort of things I was looking for. We became best friends, and she'd often tell me fantastic stories about Peter, an aspiring poet who was a year younger than her and still lived in the sticks. When he finally came up to visit, she asked me to look after him while she went to an evening class. He wasn't really as I expected, very tall and wearing a kind of plastic jacket, looking quite street, but then he's always been courageous with his dress. The family resemblance was more than incredible. I'd heard a lot of good things about him, and he was interested in me because his big sister used to come home and talk about the new world of university, and particularly about this friend she'd met. Straight away we began talking about music. He was a massive Morrissey and Smiths fan, and his sister had asked me to write down the tablature to this charming man for him, but I didn't know anything about the Smiths. 
and I transcribed Charmless Man by Blur instead. He didn't play guitar too well, so I showed him a few things, and he played me this one song, The Long Song, which lived up to its name. I had some songs with terrible lyrics, and we just started doing musical things together. We bonded over music very quickly. That first night, too, we had an argument over the meaning of a word. I can't even remember what that word was now, but finally, it felt as if I was getting the intellectual stimulation I'd been searching for, and had been expecting from university. But for me, it was a joyful moment. We began to meet up every time he came to town. He lived and breathed London. He'd go to charity shops and buy massive shoes and corduroy trousers, kitsch tea sets and crisp barber vinyls, and he had a certificate to show that he climbed the monument. I just loved to draw it all in, for all the right reasons. I found that very charming. I was learning things from him too, although I wouldn't have readily admitted it. I was performing the role of the older, experienced guy, and I tried to play it like he was the little and nipping at my feet. But in reality, Peter knew a lot about the world.